my friends, the great experiment. The greatest trick, trick, trick. Hidden trick, trick. Would you look at that? The greatest trick, trick. And you people, you're all astronauts on some kind of star trick, trick. Hello, and welcome to The Greatest Trek. It's a new Star Trek podcast from the makers of The Greatest Generation. I'm Ben Harrison. I'm Adam Pranica. Not a Star Trek podcast today, my friend. It feels like the furthest thing from it today. And I'm saying that as someone who has done Baywatch shows <laughs> on our Greatest <laughs> Trek feed, you know? Baywatch is canonical Trek in a way that Space Precinct just isn't. Yeah. Yeah, Space Precinct is more James Bond than it is Star Trek. Yeah, if James Bond had a family. (laughs) How did you learn of its existence sufficient to make this a part of the pilot season project we're doing? And maybe we should uh, reintroduce that as a concept. Yeah, if you're just tuning in, we are killing time between now and the beginning of season five of Discovery by kind of uh, going back in to the vault, watching some stuff that was airing contemporaneous with TNG and DS9 and Voyager, but, you know, was not Star Trek explicitly, but was, you know, of of a similar sci-fi vibe. And I think I sort of did something that I used to do a lot when I would be working on our big list of war movies when we made the hit war movie podcast, Friendly Fire. There were the ones I could think of off the top of my head, but I know that that is not the list. So I was just searching. And like, there's a million like clickbaity websites that are like, we rounded up the seven worst sci-fi shows from 1995. And Uh here they are, you know, and like, you know, there's like a paragraph of snarky commentary and then, you know, an embarrassing screen grab. And I wasn't looking for bad when I was looking for this stuff, I was just looking for like, what even was there? So like the list that we have is way longer. Mm-hmm. There's way more shows on that list than uh, we'll be able to get to in pilot season. But um, yeah, I found a bunch that I'd never heard of and I jogged my memory about a bunch of them. Uh, this was definitely of the never heard of this mm-hmm. genre. And I don't know how I missed it. I mean, 1994, I think it was an NBC show. I didn't know this was on NBC. I thought this was was. only a like Channel 4 in the UK type of production, you know? (laughs) Maybe I'm wrong about that. Like you'd watch this show and then you'd watch a show where people date each other based on only seeing their genitals or whatever. Oh, you know what? You're right. It was a BBC show. Yeah. Man, I just assumed that it being on Peacock meant that it was made in and for the United States. But uh, yeah, it's got a an American cast. Well, to you, the BBC is a network. Yeah. And I get that. It's the network. It's one yeah. of the big three anyways. You have a special relationship to that network. BBC, PBS, NHK. Right. Yeah. <laughs> the big three. The Holy Trinity. Mm-hmm. Had you ever heard of this show prior to watching this pilot? I am almost positive that this was a show that occasionally aired on the Sci-Fi Channel that would just be on some random afternoon that as soon as my clicker would stop on it would almost immediately, like, whatever the record is for, like, (laughs) 
the neurons that travel from my eyeballs to my brain that recognize what a thing is or isn't. And uh-huh. then whatever energy flows to my thumb to then change the channel, that's the fastest transit time possible in my body. If I ever saw a frame of this show on Sci-Fi Channel when I was like eight wow. to change the channel. That is, I think, where eight-year-old Ben and eight-year-old Adam part ways. Because I think that <laughs> seeing like this kind of puppetry and these kinds of miniature effects would have been all I needed to yeah. stick it out for as many episodes as they had in the block of Space Precinct episodes they're airing on Sunday afternoon on the Sci-Fi Channel. Yeah, I mean, it's really got to hit a person in the right window, I think. Yeah, yeah. There's so much that I like about this in terms of just, like, what kinds of production techniques they use and stuff. Like, I mean, I don't want to tilt my hand much, but it did sort of break my heart to see this much fit and finish go into this show. <laughs> no kidding. Let's see. Many U.S. stations scheduled the show in late-night time slots, which resulted in low ratings and contributed to its cancellation. This seems like the sort of thing that would have aired after a late night infomercial, like that uh-huh. late. Yeah. Before your morning news that that pops off at like four in the morning. So Jerry Anderson, the guy who was behind this, is primarily famous for the super marionation technique, the like, mm-hmm. you know, the Thunderbirds, like what Team America World Police was for some reason made to lampoon. And that kind of stands to reason. Like that's, you can see that DNA in the miniature work in this show. You got your super marionation and then you got your regular Luigi. (laughs) That's what you got. Yeah. Super marionation three was my favorite, I would say. I guess we'll see where this is on that continuum today. (laughs) Whether it's, whether you consider it to be super marionation or you consider it to be regular Luigi. Right. I'm glad you made that distinction, Ben, because like this, like any other pilot we're watching for this project, I would not like we're not shit watching any of this stuff. No, I I was genuinely curious yeah. about this. Yeah, this is not a shit watch podcast. I don't know if it's possible to get our hands on this, but this was based on a pilot that they made in 1986 called Space Police starring Shane Rimmer. Oh, Oh, uh, is he a contemporary of of Greg Inch or whatever, the director of that one Baywatch episode? All Darwin know is Darwin a big fan. (laughs) Darwin's best performance come from (laughs) Greg Inch. What do you say? Should we get into Gary Anderson's, there's the Jerry Anderson's Space Precinct 2040. You know the greatest danger facing us is an irrational fear of the unknown. One thing I found really surprising and also not surprising about the director of this episode is I think you often want to throw the keys to your pilot to a great director, yeah. a movie director even, because Absolutely. they're happy to do a pilot and then they'll go back to doing movies. They're not going to stick around. And John Glenn is the director of many James Bond films. Like, He's a guy. And I think you're in good hands if you give your pilot over to someone like that. I mean, also just great to have an astronaut 
helming a. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I don't think anything could surprise him in terms yeah. of uh, the alien faces that he's seen in this episode. We've talked about this a little bit already. The voiceover during the opening credits that kind of helps put us in a time and place. And I was... Uh, Bring this back, Ben. I think this is good. How great would Strange New Worlds be if instead of the Star Trek Lord's Prayer that Anson Mount recites, it's like about the show and who he is and who his crew people are. And you get the, like the little snippets yeah. of all the characters doing their work. I'm Captain Christopher Pike. <laughs> I guess you could say I'm a normal guy in an extraordinary time. That's my crew. The crew of the Starship Enterprise. <laughs> yeah, that would be amazing. It's such an invitation to people, you know? It's great. Yeah, roll out the red carpet, invite people in. Yeah. We get to see like the you know, the digital ID cards of all of our characters. We get to see a bunch of uh cool special effects shots of uh, you know, space planes and various explosions. I got to tell you, Ben, if your name appears on screen with fireworks in the background, holy moly, <laughs> that's a solid start right there for you. Yeah, that means Jerry Anderson's got your back. Yep. <laughs> uh, I love this. I love the disparity between, like, I don't know if this is era specific or not, but like the credits are very specifically a bunch of dudes holding guns, doing dude stuff. And then their corresponding chicks giving their brave guys a bunch of like longing glances (laughs) and doing domestic work or whatever. Yeah, getting pulled in for sweet, sweet kisses, et cetera. (laughs) Okay, sweetheart, I'll be in the kitchen if you need me. I also, it took me a lot of this episode to get a sense of where it was set. I kind of, having heard the voiceover at the beginning of this, I was kind of expecting this guy to be like getting off the plane from New York City. Like, the idea that he started as an NYPD cop, but now he's stationed here in Demeter City sort of would give you the idea that they would like spend some time setting up what Demeter City is, where it is, like what humans have to do with it. Not important at all. Yeah. No. <laughs> I think you could get a season, season and a half on getting this fish out of water. As this episode begins, as this series begins, the fish is out of water. Yeah, the fish is out of water. Like, the most context we get is there's a little reel that says, like, this episode, protect and survive. And then it gives you a little preview of the episode you're about to watch in the episode. Is this, remind me, I love Police Squad, the progenitor to the Naked Gun movies. That's something that Police Squad did, right? I guess so, yeah. it's It definitely felt, like, very old-timey and yeah. specific. yeah. So we can get kind of some panning shots of a city skyline. These are model miniature effects. And then we're in a car on some kind of stakeout. And there's a a stoolie in the back of the car and a couple of cops in the, in the front of the car. These cops, despite being this being a UK show, have American accents. Then that looks like an American sausage in the dashboard because this is a police cruiser that has... Not a replicator that makes any kind of food. This appears to be a hot dog dispenser that just makes hot dogs. It's a hot dog machine. (laughs) It's got buttons colored to correspond 
to the topping. So the red button dispenses ketchup. Ketchup. And Haldane just can't get the ketchup to work. More ketchup. I broke your mixture of ketchup. Yeah. You got red for ketchup. You got yellow for mustard. You got green for relish. Uh Uh-huh. Push it to the limit, Mr. Sue. I want full relish. What the fuck is blue, Adam? (laughs) That's some sci-fi shit. Yeah. I mean, the mind reels at the possibilities there. What does it do? Turns blue. How badly did you want Haldane to command this machine to give him full relish? As much as I've ever wanted anything in my entire life. (laughs) My wife and I always joke about like the Costco hot dog. Anytime we go to Costco, we'll get the hot dog. It's basically the main place where we eat hot dogs. I always want to get the Costco hot dog and my wife will never let me get the Costco hot dog. Yeah, you're trapped in an abusive relationship. I understand. (laughs) Yeah, no kidding. We always complain, though, about the staying power of eating a hot dog. It just stays with you. You you stink of it Yeah. for hours and hours. If you're on a stakeout and you're eating hot dogs during your stakeout, that's basically the worst stakeout food, right? That car, like, when they open the doors, like, gives them away, right? Like, even if it's not a marked police car, like the second you crack a window to smoke a cigarette or something, people are going to be like, oh, hot dog smell, 5-0. This is my point. Like a ton of comedy hay is made throughout the episode of the differences between human customs or human hygiene or whatever and, and what the aliens perceive to be their own versions of those. And how could a hot dog not be just as disgusting <laughs> to an alien person. Inquiring minds want to know. Yeah. So there's Snitch. Uh, this, I don't know. This guy calls people Slick, so I guess that's what we'll call him. Run Slick as an alias to the FBI. You're going to get the phone book. Do it anyway. His name is Silk, though. Oh, is it Silk? It is. Oh. Silk Ostrasky. Okay. Is the informant that they've got in the back. He's like assuring them that somebody's going to show up. And sure enough, some, get this, illegal aliens arrive. Mm. Yeah. The vehicle drops off these Zyronites. I think it's really important to be specific about the alien names here. It feels like a lot of thought was given mm-hmm. to who the people are named and, and the alien species names. Yeah. And they report this in to Officer Castle, who's back at Precinct HQ. And the Zyronites kind of unload their rags and crates from the the van that the coyote is driving. Uh, but he notices that the uh, the cops are there to stake him out. So he bugs out pretty quickly. And we get our first high-speed chase scene. And uh, Silk is not psyched to be in, in the back of a car for this. Silk can't be excited to be inside a vehicle where there may or may not be a malfunctioning condiment dispenser because this crash landing is sufficient to jostle the ketchup out of the tube here. I thought that they for sure were going to be like, oh no, did you get hit joke? Like, and Hal Dane would be like, no, it's just ketchup, you know? I think this scene is so efficient in telling you everything you need to know about Hal Dane. Hal Dane is a goof. Hal Dane is not to be taken seriously. He's such a dork. He's not the only like comic relief character in this police precinct, but 
He is one of the main ones. He's got kind of a resting derp face that I don't <laughs> think the actor has. I think he's doing this to his face. Man, this guy, like, if he grew out the full cop mustache, would look so copish. Yeah. Like, yeah. his his upper lip just looked nude to me. Like, <laughs> embarrassing. Like, cover that up. You gotta have a stash on that thing, Haldane. Yeah. That's a cold upper lip. Yeah. They crash, and, like, meanwhile, there's a shot back at HQ where Castle, the lovely uh, desk jockey cop, talks to one of the other cops who is an alien with a third eye. She's referred to as Tuki, and uh, they uh, reveal that this lady has some kind of telekinetic powers. She, she floats Castle's hat over to her using the power of her, her mind. I love how jarring this is in the sequence because the sequence is like, okay, the aliens get out. All right, we're ready to chase. Here's a crazy space chase. We got to report it back to HQ. And Jane's like, holy shit, the chase is on. We got to go. And Took is like, one moment. Let me show you street magic. Yeah. <laughs> the pace of the effect is very E.T. the extraterrestrial. Yeah. The cap... <laughs> floats across and the camera pans with it and it takes a full 10 seconds from the cap getting picked up off the back of the chair that it's hanging on to landing on Castle's head. Show off. It's totally like hat on a fish hook being carried across <laughs> the room from off screen instead of what it needs to be, which is like an ultimate Frisbee flying across HQ and, and hitting Jane Castle in the head. That would have been sick. But this is the super marionation people. Like these are yeah. people that work with fishing line a lot and know how to hide it in a shot. I'm proposing Luigi effects with a super marionation budget, aren't I? <laughs> After the crash, the chase is on foot and our two main cop guys split up and one of them is kind of going into like this alien abattoir where they're like sides of space beef hanging on mm. chains in a mm -hmm. in a cooler. And the other is kind of like out in an alleyway and Silk surprises him and almost gets shot, you know, because Silk doesn't want to be stuck in the car. Are these space beefs of the same type of species as the criminal they're chasing? Because there's... There's that bit where the, the criminal like sticks his head on top of the severed neck of a yeah, space beef yeah. and totally blends in. Yeah, it's like, oh, wow, his loaf is made from the same kind of loaf they made this fake space beef from. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Kind of a dark image, really, the yeah. longer I think about it. It's pretty gross. Yeah. Yeah, and, and it is implied later that Haldane's hot dogs are made out of whatever these creatures are. Sure. That's funny. You like eating it in cruiser? Back up. They wind up uh, getting in a gunfight with the guy that was smuggling the Zyronites into this city, and the coyote gets hit and goes down real hard. RSVP, whatever that guy was. Yeah. Back at HQ, Jane Castle is running the interrogation of the two aliens that popped out of that car earlier. Yeah, it's really good cop, telepath cop here. It seems like Took is very sensitive to the fact that these aliens are thirsty. Like, her primary role is service. Yeah. 
did you get the sense that she got sick by trying to read their minds? Like somehow the like telepathy was also a way of transmitting an illness? I did get that sense. Yeah. Or maybe this type of illness is is mostly transmissible between aliens and less so between aliens and humans. Maybe so, yeah. So she kind of goes down and doesn't look great. I mean, how would you know, though? Yeah, right, yeah. She's like a little green under the gills, but is that normal for her? Yeah, I don't want to judge. There does seem to be sort of like a main kind of alien guy in this precinct. Like the boss and a couple of the other guys are of this type, and I don't know if we got an alien race name for them. They're Creons. Creons, okay. So they got, they've got like big eyeballs that are like well to the side of their faces and like kind of like Jay Leno-y jawlines. If you're not going to watch this, and I understand if you wouldn't, try to imagine Herbert the pervert from Family Guy, you know, the next door neighbor guy. You like popsicles? You know what his face looks like. Now imagine that like covered with gray loaf. <laughs> That's what we got here. These guys have a, a deep sea storyline about really wanting to get some tickets to the slam ball finals. Yeah. And uh, there's one way to do it, which is win big at a video game. But they suck at video games. So what are they going to do? Were you a little bit bumped by just the name slam ball in a universe in a show that tries so hard to name things? <laughs> completely inscrutably like slam ball is so on the nose yeah i was shocked by it i think that sports and illicit drugs are the two hardest sci-fi things to name like yeah. if you're making up a sport you're like basketball baseball are taken you know mm -hmm, football mm -hmm. taken yeah. slam ball is like kind of the only direction you have to go yeah and much the same way with drugs. Like, like <laughs> you're never going to come up with something that sounds as evocative as fentanyl or heroin, you know? Yeah, you're right. Oh, man, he's totally strung out on spice. <laughs> Who yeah. cares? Yeah, it doesn't work as well. I'm worried about Tookie, Ben. Yeah. She has been uh, taken into what seems to be a medical facility attached to the precinct. Yeah. It's not a separate place at all. And it's not even like down the hall. It is connected through a door to this main precinct area. Yeah. And like the precinct seems to be its own space station. And then the city is another space station. Yeah. But I don't know why you would build the precinct like in a different space station. Like just build yeah. it in the, in the city. Yeah. Xyron fever is the diagnosis. And this chief seems to know enough about that diagnosis to be like, well, Took's got to be quarantined. This stuff is yeah. really contagious. And also, like, let's immunize everyone against it before everyone gets sick. Our fear of immigration is actually well-grounded in the biological fact that the immigrants are bringing disease into our country. Right. Yeah. Which is interesting because this guy is obviously space Irish and, you know, like his people probably dealt with some of this kind of horrible prejudice when, when they were fresh to the country. This isn't the only issue Captain Podley is dealing with. When Brogan and Haldane return from their stakeout, Podley absolutely reams them for letting their courier die. And that's because uh, Brogan 
didn't know that the armpit is where this flavor of alien kept their brains. You know, different people keep their stuff in different places. I know. Isn't it about time you learned? You would think that a space police person would have a general idea of like what a a non-lethal use of force might be in this moment. Like, imagine you're Captain Podley. This is part of the the dark episodes that we don't see, Ben, that, that you mentioned earlier that we really could use. Like, before the fish is out of water, Brogan has to learn how to shoot suspects. He doesn't know. They just turn him loose. Yeah, this is like one of a million propaganda series that just like blows past some kind of like totally over the top police overreaction. Like he literally killed somebody on the job today. Like there's no like you got to like turn in your piece until you've been evaluated by a mental health professional. There's no like protest in the streets of Demeter City. Like there's there's nothing. Well, it's it's very specific to its own perspective, and we are on the perspective of Brogan yeah. and Haldane Back up. and the space precinct specifically. And Brogan, just checking in here, not shaken up about the fact that he has claimed a life today. <laughs> no, no, you get the sense that maybe that's why he was hired. <laughs> Or maybe, like, he had some incidents back home and they kind of shuffled him to this new precinct and, and that's what's going on here. Yeah, maybe, maybe it's uh, maybe it's Demeter City was the only city that would have him yeah. kind of a thing. You know, like, that sort of bespeaks a dynamic that also isn't in this. Like, this is not the grizzled veteran cop and the rookie cop or the by-the-book cop and the cop that plays by his own rules, but he gets the job done. The gulf between Brogan and Haldane seems to primarily just be about who is silliest. Yeah. They really are silly, silly, silly cops. Yeah. They just like eating hot dogs and having a good time. Backed up. Speaking of silliness, Silk, the the rat, has been grabbed by Tyler Gershom, the big bad, the the guy that's pulling all the strings, the the person that uh, is profiting from bringing diseased Zyronites to town and uh, they're in like a parking structure and it's uh, Tyler in the backseat and a very scary looking alien that might be the same species or a similar species to uh, a lot of the other aliens in this show, but maybe not like he's got, he's definitely got the same like structure under the loaf, like the wide eyes with the, you know, the great big eyelids and, the jawline. I feel like a quad box apology is going to come at the next episode. I feel like this species would probably take great umbrage with with how you're describing him. Mm-hmm. But in the dark, in the smoke, in the dark, it is kind of hard to tell. Yeah, because Gersom's smoking a great big cigar and ashing it on Silk's head. <laughs> slick. It's slick. It's not Silk. I'm looking at the, at the subtitle now. Oh, you make a big mistake for sure. Oh, all right. I'm uh, totally willing to be wrong. This is a scene that is meant to emphasize just how evil Tylan Gershom is. He is a bad man who doesn't care about you breathing clean air. What he cares primarily about is uh, not leaving a living witness to his many crimes. Drop of a hat, these guys will rock and roll. His hench seems to enjoy the sort of jobs that he's given. I kind of admire this. Like, most henches will just do the dirty work of the boss without any joy, 
without any love for the craft. Mm. But this yeah. guy, he sticks something to the windshield of the vehicle that Slick is stuck in. And using a remote control, he's just having a blast. Driving the car around while, while Slick is freaking out on the inside. I mean, just imagine yourself having a remote control to a car in a parking structure and like like a full-size car you can drive around willy-nilly to your heart's content. Now add the element that you're an alien sociopath and you don't care that there's a guy that's tied up in that car whose life is at risk. In fact, that's only adding to the experience for you. Of course this would be fun. If you're a boss, all you ever want is an employee who's motivated to do good work. Yeah. And uh, that's what Gersom has found in this hench. <laughs> there's one little cut to this, like blobby blue guy you can't really see where he is but he, it's clear that he has a vantage of this during the uh the sequence where slick is killed and then like when when slick finally does buy the farm gersom and his hench walk away and you, you it is revealed that this blue guy was sitting in a car that they were sitting on the hood of while yeah. they did this murder kind of hard to miss so he saw the whole thing and they seem to have been Completely unaware. Yeah. Hey, uh, Cheaters don't deserve nothing in Latinum. What do you think of when you think of male grooming? Maybe it's a sharp haircut and a little bit of product. Or a bit of the old beard wax twisted into the ends of a mustache. Maybe it's a shower, a shave, a little spritz of fragrance. Me? I think of shaving my nuts. And not just my nuts, all around those nuts. I'm talking all around those nuts. And this form of male grooming is hard to do when your junk looks like a log of Play-Doh rolled through a dustpan in a barber shop. It's wrinkly, it's wriggly, nothing stays in place, and it's the one area where you don't want to have an accident. That's why I'm glad we're sponsored by the spring cleaning champions at Manscaped. They sent me their brand new Lawnmower 5.0 Ultra, it's their fifth generation trimmer, featuring two interchangeable next-gen skin-safe blade heads, a standard one for taking a little bit off the top, and a new foil blade to go smooth wherever your heart desires. They also sent me an extra-large Manscaped t-shirt, which I will never wear, but it was nice of them to do. Get 20% off and free shipping with the code TREK at manscaped.com. That's 20% off and free shipping with the code TREK at manscaped.com. Nothing like a little spring cleaning in your pants. I have tried so many meal services over the years. After all, I am a podcast host. And I gotta tell you, Factor Meals is my favorite. Why? Because I can go from what am I gonna have for dinner to eating a great dinner in exactly two minutes with Factor Meals. And don't sleep on their smoothies either. I got six of these in the box this week. Mango, tropical fruit, strawberry or banana. They're all amazing. They're like meal supplements I can enjoy while I'm on the go. Head to factormeals.com slash trek50 and use the code trek50 to get 50% off. Again, that's the code trek50 at factormeals.com slash trek50 to get 50% off. Hi, Adam Pranica here for podshop.biz. The easy way to dress, drink, and decorate virtually anything fast with embarrassment that lasts. Podshop.biz is not a cult. 
And it's not a multi-level marketing scheme. It's a supercharged carousel of crap spinning at a high rate of speed for all your dorky needs. Ordinary web stores are a mess, but with Podshop.biz, you'll find products from all of our shows referring to many of our most popular bits. Shirts, glasses, and bags from other websites can damage your mood, but not with Podshop.biz. Our nerdy, jokey bullshit will rebuild your damaged attitude and turn you into a person with riz. Turn your laptop from off the shelf to off the hook with a sticker. Make pool time cool time with our line of hilarious swimwear. And stop raw-dogging your smartphone. Strap it up with the choice of designs that'll have you go from saying hello to hello. But that's not all. At podshop.biz, you can choose from the Brenner Information Systems Collection, the Uxbridge Shimoda Corporate Collection, this old enterprise, logos for Greatest Generation and Greatest Trek, and more. Order now at podshop.biz. Back for another game. You know it. What's going on? Just one more week till Max Fun Drive. <laughs> Hard to believe. It's been a heck of a year since the last one. We're now a worker-owned co-op. We raised $50,000 for charity last year. And we've added a bunch of awesome new shows. But do you think we're ready to do it again? Absolutely. Lovely new gifts are lined up. The episodes will be amazing. And wait till everyone hears the bonus content. Yeah, plus they know to go to MaximumFun.org newsletter, so they're getting all the news. Oh, like that meetup day is on Thursday, March 21st. Then what's bothering you? Me? Oh, nothing. We're all set for Max Fun Drive to start on Monday, March 18th. I just didn't want you to see this coming. Check. What? Hang on! Most of the plants humans eat are technically grass. Most of the asphalt we drive on is almost a liquid. The formula of WD-40 is San Diego's greatest secret. Zippers were invented by a Swedish immigrant love story. On the podcast Secretly Incredibly Fascinating, we explore this type of amazing stuff. Stuff about ordinary topics like cabbage and batteries and socks. Topics you'd never expect to be the title of the podcast. Secretly Incredibly Fascinating. Find us by searching for the word secretly in your podcast app. And at MaximumFun.org. Would you like to know what Brogan's home life is like? That's what this scene is about. We're at the Brogan residence, which is shot and lit like a mid-90s network sitcom. It's incredible, like with all of its different layers yeah. and depths to the set. They really gave this a lot of thought. They really did. Yeah, and it's very father knows best. Like the dad comes home and the mom tells him what the children have been up to yeah. and Brogan clearly is a little bit too focused on his job like maybe not a great candidacy for fatherhood given how much he wants to not be at home with his wife and family didn't you feel like this show had a choice about whether or not to make Brogan dark or silly kind of for the purposes of of giving a scene like this weight yeah. and by choosing silly when Brogan tries to go dark here with a, 
Like, you'll never understand what downtown is like. It's a bad place that I don't want Matt to be. Like, he's a little too silly to be issuing a warning like that. Like, but but if he were totally dark, if if it wasn't a hot dog in the cruiser, if it was just like two serious men doing serious police work, yeah, you know, watching Miriam crimes happen, when he comes home, you know, with the darkness with him, I think that would have hit a little better. But no, this is this is a silly show with silly people. It's very silly. The dinner scene starts with everybody turning mom down on her scepter squab. She's made space meat and mm-hmm. nobody really has an appetite for it aside from Matt who is kind of the the hellion, the 14-year-old who, you know, is starting to explore rebelling against mom and dad a little bit. The innocent little sister starts cutting into her plate of peas and carrots and the carrots are screaming. And it turns out that this is because her brother Matt got a a little speaker at some like teen prank store downtown that he's hidden under her plate and is uh, simulating the sounds of the carrots screaming out in anguish when she cuts into them. Even in space, even in 2040, Spencer's Gifts Downtown... (laughs) (laughs) has the hits doesn't it yeah so good as much as the sister was deceived about her carrots being alive and screaming or not i was deceived as a viewer in this scene by thinking that this little device would have any sort of importance later on (laughs) in the episode for getting the bad guy because i feel like modern television would never suggest a device early on and then not pay it off later. Yeah, I was in is... agony the entire episode waiting for another screaming thing. Absolutely Chekhov's whoopee cushion here. Yeah, yeah. And uh, it does not pay off. Nope. So this, you know, this gets the whole thing up on its feet about Matt being sort of bad and wanting to go downtown and Dad disapproving of it. Dad, I'm 14. I know what I'm doing. You'll do what I tell you. How bad do you want to know who Matt's friends are? Like, who's he going downtown with? Yeah, does he have a bunch of, like, weird alien friends? I've got to know. Did he used to have, like, a promising future? Like, he won the science fair last year by growing radishes and weird dirt, but now he's kind of, like, changing. And he smokes with cigarettes. There's, like, a tension in the in the scene and in this family because, like, Matt seems interested in, like, being in the world. And it wouldn't surprise me at all if the mom and the sister triple lock the door after he left and like barricaded it for fear of whatever's on the other side. I know. But like the thing that's sort of maddening about this is there are aliens and laser beams in this show. So you could see a very reasonable fear surrounding like leaving the house at all because aliens and laser beams. Yeah. But also this is depicted as just like a dad that's got a bit of a racist streak and is like, I don't want you going around undesirable people <laughs> by going downtown. Like it, it, it comes across the wrong way. I think like Sally is like, Oh, you got to lay off him. Like, let him, let him explore this new city we're in. And he's like, no, I know what it's like. And she's like, well, you only see the bad side because you're a cop, which is very reasonable. Like cops do probably mostly see the tragic and upsetting parts of the places they patrol. Yeah, it's like a doctor only seeing illness. I don't bring the racial connotation to that the way you do. I I just feel like these are these are out of waters fishes. 
And in this brand new place, everything is scary. I understand that, but I never saw it as as being motivated by alien species in any way. Well, they don't get a ton of time to tie this conversation up because Brogan gets called back to work because they've brought this uh, this eyeball witness in. I love how they have that conversation in front of the family, though. Like, Brogan's okay taking a work FaceTime, like, in full view of the dinner table. Yeah. It's great. Like, Al Pacino in Heat has a, a very bright line boundary between work and home life. He does uh-huh. not describe what he was doing at work unless he's really pressed. Hi, honey. Guess what? He does not bring TV man who heard things mostly, like, home with him. Yeah, he doesn't want to, like, process that heinous shit yeah. in his wife's ex-husband's dead tech post-modernistic bullshit house. So the mission for Brogan is to keep this witness, Armand Loyster, alive. And they're going to need to bodyguard him, both he and Haldane. Back up. Yeah, and uh, Haldane is uh, doing some target practice down in the shooting range with Castle. And, uh, boy, her head's just not in it. She's... Basically only landed two shots to the groin of this uh, target that she's been trying to shoot. And the rest of them have gone wide. Good enough for me. You're my man now. I feel like that's because Tookie always like guides her projectile to the right place <laughs> when they're together. Do you think she has any idea she's such a bad shot? This has got to yeah. come as a surprise. Yeah. This is like the second time Haldane has kind of tried to put the moves on her. There's a real Sam and Diane energy between these two if Diane wasn't interested at all. You know what's funny about this that kind of informed how I felt about Haldane the rest of the episode is that according to what I read about his character, like the capsule, is he has a family and kids. Oh shit, really? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> oh, I don't know if I read that by mistake or whatever, but like Kind of makes me have feelings about Haldane's character. Yeah, wow. Seeing this go down. Yeah. Backed up. He and Brogan head out to the Hotel Nirvana, and they check in on uh, their guy, Loyster, that they're going to be looking after. I like the little scene where they transmit their ID through the like touchless contact thing on the doorbell. I do, too. Like this show invented Apple Pay. Like he uses the same thing to pay for his drink later at the yeah. at the vending machine. I really love the magic trick this scene does when they meet Armand Loyster and they're like, oh, this place stinks. And oh, this handshake is so wet. If you back this scene up, Armand Loyster is coming out of the bathroom. Yeah. Do not go in there. So it's pretty clear to me that he just took a giant dump. It's such a relief. (laughs) And he had time to wash his hands but not dry them. Yeah. That's all this is? That's just blue soap on your hands. Brogan, come on. Yeah. Yeah, these guys bring their own anti-blue guy sentiment. (gasps) Is that what the blue button is on the hot dog dispenser in their car? Wow. Yeah, I think you solved it. You solved the case. Oh, man. Castle visits Tookie in uh, in the hospital. There's no treatment for Zyron fever. No. We're going to just have to kind of wait this out. Hopefully she can recover. We're just going to have to quarantine Took on the inside of a sneeze guard in a pizza buffet salad bar. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sure you understand. This is how medicine yeah. works in, in 2040. 
Uh, no, no, please use the tongs if you're going to uh, try to hold her hand, talk to her while she's in, the, in a coma. She's not going to be doing any more hat tricks anytime soon. I love the doctor here. The doctor is so real when uh, Castle asks if she's going to make it. Yeah. She's not sure. With Zyron fever, who knows? All we can do is wait and hope. Because they've got a witness, they are able to arrest Gersom. And uh, they bring him down with his slimy defense attorney to the precinct. They get ready to lock him up. And, the, you know, the defense attorney saying all the stuff about, you know, I'm going to have all your jobs and this is going to be thrown out. You don't have a witness. And they're like, well, we do, actually. And Gersom uh, is smoking a cigar this whole time. And they're like, man, you got to put that out. This is a, if you, if you claim to be a law-abiding citizen, one thing you can't do is smoke that stogie. So he puts it out in a potted plant next to these two guys that are like trying to play the slam ball video game to get the, the slam ball tickets. And uh, they've roped in the like medical robot that they have mm-hmm. in the precinct to help them with this. So it's now, I guess, playing the game for them so that they can win. Yeah, it makes sense. I have enjoyed like smoking a quarter of a cigar socially on occasion Mm -hmm. i could rarely ever smoke an entire cigar an entire cigar is a lot and i could never ever ever think of like chain smoking cigars like tylen gershom does like he's always smoking cigars he loves those shits yeah that's how you get a great voice though like anyone could hear my voice and and hear not a smoker hasn't enjoyed many stogies in his day yeah yeah we cut back to the hotel and uh, we just have a little scene that is about establishing that Armand Loyster has a CGI tongue. Pretty great. There's a fly in the room. I seem to attract them. He's mine. Actually, they're quite delicious. Think of how great of a lover you would be if you had permanently lubricated hands and an enormously long tongue. <laughs> Tell you what, I, th- I think you'd be allowed to get the hot dog at Costco. Yeah. I mean, it's no wonder this guy has produced four children. Yeah. His wife can't wait to be in the bedroom with him. Yeah. Yeah. Back at the precinct, we noticed that that cigar that Tylen Gershom put out in that, in that house plant, it has a listening device in it. And from inside his cell, he's been listening in on all the action out there. Yeah. He knows that these two guys are desperate to get slam ball tickets, but it kind of seems like, what is the point of this at first? And asked myself that a lot. But eventually, like, uh, Castle comes back in. She's like, hey, like, our friend Tookie's doing hat tricks again. She's, she's going to be okay. And also, specifically, the, the witness is at this specific hotel room at this specific hotel downtown. And they're like, good, yes, we all know that. Thank you for saying it out loud. Tookie's doing hat tricks, but she's not hitting the bedpan. (laughs) So uh, Gershom requests to speak to his attorney. Mm -hmm. And it's pretty clear that he's just giving the location of the witness to him because uh, the next scene is his henchmen and a couple more uh, loafy alien killers getting ready to go do this hit and taking their marching orders from that slimy lawyer. Armand seems pretty nice, right? He's either nice and forgiving 
of Brogan and Haldane. Backed up. Or he's oblivious to their sentiments, right? Because he's so like, he's generous with his fried rodent room service meal. Yeah. Like, he wants to make this a good hang. Yeah. He's willing to play giant cards with them to pass the time. He doesn't have to do that. He's he's doing this out of the kindness of his heart, too. Like, he, yeah. he wants to be back with his family, and he's like, uh, yeah, I'll, I'll stick around and, like, have you guys defend my life against killers. Yeah. Y- you think I want to have this tongue in my mouth? It could be in my wife's ass. <laughs> <laughs> doing a bit of good. I love my family. So Brogan is on the phone with his wife, and it's like a FaceTime call on a picture frame. Mm-hmm. And he, he does not hang up the phone, crucially. Yeah, you got to do that. We see that it's lingering with his end of the line, not closed. Uh, when the killers show up and they start kind of creeping around the hotel, and Brogan goes out to get something from the vending machine and bumps into the first of the killers, He's able to gun this one down and run back to the room and let him know that uh, a hit job is afoot and uh, they need to really, like, defend Loyster now. Clever hench, though. Uh, he got the one in the hallway, but he doesn't see the one coming in from the window. That guy is so fast moving. Like, he yeah. comes in the window and has Loyster yeah. as a hostage so quickly. Yeah, he's great. Had me rooting for him. Yeah. This guy is the same kind of alien as the police, right? I think so. Yeah. But there's a lot of guys with this kind of head construction in this show. Guess who? Speaking of head constructions, what you want to do is cut away from this scene of of high suspense and to the Brogan residence where Matt has come home from a trip downtown to get his haircut. Yeah, great haircut. What Matt has decided on, like in pointing at the pictures on the wall, is sort of a... A butt cut in the literal sense. Like, the very back of his head has been split into two hair buns of different colors. I think red and black are the colors he's chosen. It also seemed like maybe they put, like, a white stripe down the middle, or maybe that's just his very pale skin that's showing down the middle. The most unbelievable part of this scene is that his sister does not absolutely clobber his nuts over this. Like, (laughs) any sister worth her salt would ridicule him to death. Yeah. Did you notice that they're they're wearing like name tags or something at home? I did not notice that. Do they not know each other's names? <laughs> I didn't notice that, no. Cause there's a like I think I first noticed it when the wife was on the phone because she's wearing a white shirt with the name tag, and I was like, Oh, is she in the, like a lab coat? Is she a scientist or a doctor or something? But then the daughter's wearing the name tag. Being new to the show, it was so hard for me to like cut to a scene in the Brogan residence and not think that it was people in like a pediatrician's office. Like the lights are so bright. The colorful decorations are so colorful. (laughs) It was intense. It always took me a beat to, to give myself that sense of place. Yeah. I want to, I want to know what's up with the name tags that civilians are apparently required to wear around in this society. Yeah. Maybe humans are the alien trash of the galaxy. In this universe. It's starting to seem like that might be the case. I mean, they're, they're no Zyronites, but they're no. like, they're yeah. not desirable. I mean, you know. The daughter wants to get on the phone with a friend of hers, and so she turns their uh, their TV screen back on. 
but the line is still connected to the hotel. Mm-hmm. So they get front row seats to the impending execution of their dad, his partner, and the guy they're supposed to be defending by this killer for hire. And fortunately, Matt thinks quick and shouts something, distracting the killer long enough for Brogan to uh, get in there and wrestle the gun away from him and murder a man in front of his entire family. Are you all right? I'm fine, honey. I gotta go. I love you. I kind of feel like Matt gets what he wants here. Like, by yelling out, he gets to be the hero of the moment, but he also gets to watch his dad do hero shit. Yeah. This is great for him. There's only one killer left. It's the the henchman that was working with Gershon before. And uh, the cops and Loyster take off under fire from this guy. And we get another high-speed police chase. They're getting hit like he's shooting at them as they fly. They can only go 150 miles per hour because he damaged their car. Were you also waiting for a hot dog dispenser cutaway as if to confirm my suspicion that Maybe all police cruisers were equipped with them. I want, yeah, like, or or maybe like, was this the same cruiser they had before? I thought not because they crashed that one, right? Is Haldane not hungry? He's he's been in this hotel room for hours. He didn't go to the vending machines. I know. Back up. My mind was in the wrong place for this very exciting chase scene. Yeah. Well, it's a, it is a very exciting chase scene, but like every other action sequence in this show, they keep cutting away yeah. from it yeah. to something not exciting going on, which is just the rigmarole of transporting the prisoner from the holding cells at the precinct to the world's tiniest courtroom where they will bring him before a judge and have the charges read against him. Didn't the bad guy from this episode... Uh... You said Tylen Gershom. Yeah. Didn't he remind you of the bad guy in Kindergarten Cop that looked like Val Kilmer but isn't? <laughs> yeah. He had that kind of vibe, like that kind of long, dark hair, yeah. that real fuck you attitude. He has a kind of villain quality of this era of television of like an accent I can't really place my finger on, mm-hmm. but you can tell that the makers of this show are relying on that accent to make me not trust him. Sure. Yeah. This hench, I guess, has a suitcase full of these devices that allows him to control other vehicles, right? So while this yeah. police chase is happening concurrently with the lawyer escorting the bad guy into the courtroom and the, the judge administering his orders or whatever, like the hench has now got control of Brogan and yeah. Haldane's vehicle. But Armand... Has that CG tongue. Yeah. And so he like leans his huge blue head out of the car and is like trying to frog tongue that thing off of the vehicle. And it takes him a few tries, but he gets it. But the the strain of doing that seems to have caused some kind of cardiac malfunction. Which has got to be unusual, right? Like he's he's usually got some staying power with that tongue. Yeah. Until he hits the right spot. Sure does. Um, so the... The device flies through the air and amazingly lands back on the car of the bad guy and like 9-11s him (laughs) into a tower. And meanwhile, they're like trying desperately to provide life-saving CPR to Loyster, who is really suffering in the backseat. And over in the courtroom, the judge is like starting to get ready to just dismiss all the charges against Gershom because... They don't have a witness there to uh, provide any testimony that Gershom did anything. 
the way that the aid for Armand Loyster is shot, like the way that it's blocked, and especially what Haldane says, suggests that Brogan is going in for the breath of life, right? Yeah, but they don't show it. And I feel like they can't show it because the loaf wouldn't react well. Yeah. These are really impressive, like super intricate puppet faces on some of these aliens, but... You'd probably die immediately if any part of that loaf was put in your mouth. Like, it's made of adhesives that are long illegal to use in a workplace. These are hydrocarbon chains that send shivers up the spines of most chemists. Yeah, yeah. So, yeah, it's looking like Gersom's going to get let free because of what's going on. And then Castle runs in at the last minute and they're like, the witness is in like a medical emergency, but he can FaceTime in. And the judge is like, I'll allow it. (laughs) And they uh, they FaceTime him in and he points right at Gersom. Justice has been done. Really great composition with that giant finger. Like the perspective of like, giant finger hand pointing in the courtroom in the foreground. He did it. He did it. He killed that poor human. Great stuff. It's so good. And uh, Gersom is so mad that he he punches out his fucking defense attorney. (laughs) Yeah. Amazing. You gotta love this. Everyone hates lawyers, right? Fuck them. Punch that lawyer. (laughs) Hey. My wife's a lawyer. She's a very good lawyer. Everything has gone so well that Castle has got her her mojo back down at the shooting range. She and Haldane have another matchup, and she's able to bullseye the crotch on her target with every shot she takes. Does it hurt? Uh, You're going to feel a little pinch. And he is not picking up on uh, on the implications of this at all. Haldane suggests an opportunity for himself to bullseye that crotch. And Castle is like, uh, no, not this time anyway. Yeah. And the way her eyes sort of twinkle at him at the end of the scene kind of makes you think that uh, some other time is going to happen. Yeah, he's like, so you're saying there's a chance. Yeah. Back up. The captain kind of browbeats those other guys out of their tickets to the slam ball that they won via getting a robot to do the video game for them. Mm -hmm. And they can't really say anything because they've done all of this fucking around at work under the cover of pretending to be doing some kind of investigation on computer fraud, which the captain sees right through. And uh, hey, we can tell that Everything's going to be okay back at the Brogan household because the last shot of the episode is a sleeping mat and uh, Lieutenant Brogan dropping off the tickets to the slam ball finals on his bedside table and then getting a nice react to seeing what the back of his son's head looks like right now. His wife looks at this scene, you know, with some compassion. It wasn't that long ago that kind of didn't seem like they'd have a future the the brogans as yeah. parents but uh it's pretty clear that patrick's about to find out whether uh matt is the only brogan who has a new hairstyle because <laughs> <laughs> it looks like they're on the way to the bedroom when we fade to black at the end of the pilot episode of space precinct Vin. 
Did you like this episode, Adam? I did. Like, I came out of the blocks thinking of my younger self and what he might think of a show like this. And I was a sci-fi snob when I was younger. Like, I, mm. I totally channel surfed past shows that looked like this. But giving this one the adult chance that it deserves, I could see a lot of comfort to be felt by watching a show like this between the 3 and the 4 a.m. hour, you know... <laughs> Trying to remain awake through a hangover, you know, yeah, yeah. to get to the other side of it. Like, this really feels like after, after, after the party. And maybe you don't want to clean up and you're just like going to sleep on your own couch. Like that kind of programming, you know? This sort of programming where too many cooks would come on TV. Right. This isn't the first try for the combination of science fiction and space procedural. Like, this yeah. was a micro-genre inside those two genres. And kind of works. I think these are two tastes that taste pretty good together. Maybe not in this specific instance. Like, I think it would take watching the rest of the series to really be able to say whether or not the show is good. But this one episode yeah. was interesting enough to keep me entertained. So you would take this to series. If, the, if, you're, if you're an executive... And they bring this in and put it up on the screen in your office. Are you are you ordering the 24-episode first season? I mean, based on nothing else but the fact that the Thunderbirds guy and the James Bond director are getting together for a science fiction and space procedural show, yeah, I think you have to do it. Wow. But I think you do it blind. Like, I think if you're reading first, that probably doesn't happen. Yeah. Because the amount of screen time that hot dog gets is enough to get a SAG card. Like, there are some weird <laughs> visual choices in this episode that feel like they're, like, for fun, to make it fun and to not make it serious. Yeah. So if you're trying to take this seriously, I think you're doing it wrong. I agree with that. I think that the fun sort of didn't work for me as much as it did for you, like, you know, we have that great car chase at the beginning, and then it's the sneaking around in the meat freezer with the sides of space beef. And suddenly, like, the music had downshifted. And I was like, this went from, like, very exciting and cool looking to something I've seen a million times before and, like, not well, well executed version of that. And I think that I honestly felt more frustrated by this pilot than I did intrigued like i wanted to like this so much because i love weird puppet stuff i love mm -hmm. loaf that is has little servos in it and like the eyes are being operated by puppeteers off screen i love miniatures did you like dinosaurs oh yeah the tgif show yeah okay i thought that was great and like uh -huh. stuff like that is just so appealing to me and like the one cg effect in this entire thing being a tongue and it's not even a CG effect every time you see it. Because like when we're going to the close-up of the device on the hood of their car, it's like a yeah. piece of rubber that they're whacking that light with. It's another fish hook effect. Yeah. And like I I'm super here for all of that shit. I'm here for tongue stuff too. When Strange New Worlds started having tons of puppet stuff in season one, yeah. 
I've never been more excited about a Star Trek move in my entire life. And I really want to be super on the side of this show. But boy, I just hated the two main characters so much. (laughs) I fucking hate these guys. I don't like them. I don't know that the show quite makes an interesting enough case for like, there's nothing about any of these aliens that couldn't just be people, you know, like one of the aliens has telekinesis, but she's off the show after Mm -hmm. the first 15 minutes and the telekinesis is used for one party trick. And then it's like irrelevant. And I feel like they sort of missed an opportunity with this pilot writing something about like, what about, the fact that all of these aliens of different species work at this city makes this different from other police procedurals. And I mean, you're describing the Deanna Troy problem. Right. Also, like it took six seasons before she got a little bit out of the pot. Totally. Yeah. And and so I think um, it just kind of bugged me and I, I couldn't get out from under that uh, watching this. So I don't think I order it to series, but... I loved looking at it. I'll tell you that. It's so fucking weird looking, this show. Yeah. Yeah. Very unusual. Very glad I watched it this one time. You want to see if there's anything weird in the priority one inbox? Oh, yeah. I'm pointing my tongue over there right now, Ben. Just don't get anything, any blue goo on it. Priority one message from Starfleet coming in on secured channel. Adam, this first P1 is from David, formerly of Nashville, now a Florida man, and it's to Ben and Adam. goes like this. Hey, guys, throwing y'all some scarves for the down season between Lower Decks and Disco. Ben, get Daron a onesie or something. Adam, do whatever you like. Happy holidays, and thanks for all you do, and bring the tour to Florida. Boy. <laughs> Love to, man. Maybe in a couple years. Yeah. Every time we've looked at Florida, it's just been like, uh, I don't know where we could sell enough tickets to not lose our shirts on a trip to Florida. I really love David's sentiment about uh, throwing scarves during the offseason. That's really appreciated. Ben, I want to ask you a question, though. Hmm. Are you starting to feel some resentment toward like people doing nice things for you just because you have a kid? Or like, here, I'm going to give you a nice thing to give to your kid, but not to you. No. I definitely appreciate David from Nashville and now Florida man, uh, their sentiment about this. They said for me to do whatever I like, I want you to do whatever you like. I know, but what if what I like is is doing nice things for the baby? I'll never understand that. I guess I'm just yeah. I'm just curious. Yeah, that's that's where I'm at as a as a man. Ben, our second priority one message is from Andrew. It's to you and me. That message goes like this: Don't go to Norfolk, Virginia. Go to Milwaukee, near a major holiday, or come to Tokyo. Whoa. Also, never regret your choices. Love that you're making thousands of FODs happy around the world. Thanks for making Great Pod. Keeping my long commutes entertaining. Wow. Andrew seems to be uh, referring to something specific. Yeah. But I'm not sure what. I think somebody was trying to persuade us to go to Norfolk in maybe a previous P1. Some people call it Norfolk. Norfolk, yeah. And um, looks like Andrew is raging against that idea. I might be going to Tokyo this year. Wow. Me and my wife are conspiring for a return to Japan. That sounds great. Can't wait. Enjoy it, if you do. (laughs) And uh, let our friend and agent know to book us a show (laughs) while you're there so I can tag along. Do my best. Sure, your wife would be thrilled if that happened. Oh, yeah. Yeah. 
Yeah, we'll we'll see what we can do about a trip to Tokyo. We're doing nothing but going to Costco's in Japan and eating all the hot dogs there, Ben. I don't、okay. know if you'd be allowed to come. Yeah, I mean, not only do I hate Costco, but I wouldn't even be able to eat when I was there. So,、uh, if you'd like to get a priority one message on the show, you know, it helps keep the lights on around here. Helps keep Adam and Costco hot dogs.、Mm. Oishi, hundred bucks for a personal message and two hundred for a commercial message. It's maximumfun.org/jumbotron to set yours up today. Hey Ben, what's that, Adam? Did you find yourself an Edward Larkin? I think I'm going to give it to that robot guy that's going around.、It、seems to be like not quite a sentient robot, although it does have. A badge, like it has, it has a police badge, which makes me think it's like a full-fledged officer on the force. Doesn't this robot seem dumb, though? You never see depictions of like. I'm gonna take that back. You only see depictions of dumb robots in Star Wars, right? Like Star Wars really leans into a dumb robot. Yeah. But like in most other sci-fi, the robots are the smartest ones in any room. Right. There's always been that uncomfortable thing about the robots in Star Wars that it's like, are they property or do they like have internal lives and feelings and shit? And、yeah. if they're both, what the fuck, Star Wars? And this robot doesn't quite give you the sense that it like has an internal life, but it does rule at video games and have some medical capabilities because it comes into the room when when Tuke is、uh, fallen over. You need this robot to be there because you never watch slam ball happen. You just see、right. reactions to slam ball. Yeah, they don't simulate the video game that they're playing or anything. Yeah. So. Yeah. Yeah, I think that robot has got to be my Edward Larkin in、yeah. this episode. Yeah. How about you? I mean, for me, it's Armand Loister. He takes great big hotel dumps. He has a super long sex tongue. He seems really nice and heroic. I don't know. He checks a lot of boxes for me. Outstanding. Yeah. He takes a lot of shit from the people there <laughs> to protect him. I didn't like that about Brogan and Haldane. Back up. That's the only unlikable part about Brogan and Haldane to me. I just think they should have been nicer to Armand Armand Loister. So he's going to、yeah. be my Edward Larkin for that reason. Okay. Well, this has been a ton of fun. Do you want to talk about、uh, what we're going to be watching next here on pilot season? After this experience, I'm going to be shocked no matter what you say is our next episode. I have no idea what direction we're going after this. Well, we're going to be spending some time with a beloved Star Trek actor on、mm. our next episode. <laughs> it's Sato. It's another long one. This one is a、uh, a two part pilot episode. Came out in 1995. Available on Peacock and the Roku app, I guess. It is Sliders, starring Jerry O'Connell and created by Tracy Torme. How about that? I'm pretty excited about this. You got John Reese Davies in this. Yeah, I think he's like in the main cast. Wow. This was a show that seemed to be on like seven different channels at the same time during my childhood. Like I could never really figure out whether Sliders was like a cable show or a network show or like which network. And it seems to have lasted like forever and ever. So I think there's a pretty big fan base for this one, but I don't know much about it. I think they like go into different dimensions or something. I never watched a single episode of this when it was on TV, but this was like Quantum Leap, except you get to keep your body, right? Yeah, I think so. And like 
Maybe this is Stargate, and I'm I'm wrong. But did, doesn't Sliders like go? At, it's like a like what if the Egyptian Empire like persisted past ancient Egypt and like it's modern society, but everything is Egyptian Empire skinned or something. And that's one episode, or that's yeah, yeah. Like, that's and, every and episode. That'll be like a a kind oh, of okay. place they visit, or like it's. I like that. Yeah. So. I don't know what they do in the pilot, but uh, we'll find out next week here on Greatest Trek. I just love the idea of John Rhys Davies yelling at the main character in whatever program he's in. Yeah. I wonder if Jerry O'Connell's character is as horny in this as it is in Lower Decks. I wonder if he's as shredded as he is in Lower Decks. Oh, yeah. Does he does he rip his shirt off with, with one fist to the chest? Excited to find <laughs> out. 1995. Yeah. It's when Sliders premiered. How about that? Yeah. Uh, last segment on every episode of this show is the Warning Boys segment where we uh, shout out a social media thing that made us laugh. Prepare a buoy and launch it when ready. Warning Boys. An emergency buoy. A warning buoy. So somebody, I think from the Discord, Gulliver Skidmore, took a suggestion that you and the Goose and I riffed up on our interview of Adam Ragusea episode, which is if Yakety Sax played when the D came out of space dock at the end of Star Trek Picard season three, it would have been just as majestic. Yeah. And uh, they actually layered in the Yakety Sax music. Like, and, and you can hear people talking over it and everything. It's really well done. Yeah. Yeah. That seemed difficult to do. Yeah. I highly recommend you get over on the Drunk Shimoda Discord if you're not. And especially for pilot season, because uh, that seems like the place to be hanging watching these things. I wish enough footage existed where as soon as Yakety Sack started, like different doors of the Starbase opened and the D would come out and then go back in and then <laughs> out the top and then out the bottom. And Oh, yeah. They're looking for the D, but they can't find it. Like, how could it have come out there when it went in there? Yeah. Pretty great, regardless. The saucer separates to simulate the top coming off. Yeah. Yep. Gets you every time. Anyways, thank you, Gulliver, for posting that to the Discord. Not that like posting anything to the Discord really qualifies for a warning, but it just seemed like that took a lot of work and was really great. Yeah, that that's buy an FOD for an audience of just FODs. Yeah, that's not going to get us any new listeners. Fuck! I completely fucked up the segment! Yeah, if you want to get into the Discord... You know how to do that? Go to drunkshimoda.com. Then you're seeing memes all over the place. Yeah, and be cool. But uh, post something about the show online or leave a nice review on Apple Podcasts and uh, you might hear us mention it on the Warning Buzz segment. We really appreciate it. Yeah, thanks, Gulliver Skidmore. All right. Keeping it light over there. We'll be back next week with the pilot of Sliders. I'm really looking forward to it. I think we'll leave the rest of the episode in Wendy's capable hands. Sure will. Bye-bye. Greatest Trek is an Oxbridge Shimoda podcast on the Maximum Fun Network. It's hosted by Ben Harrison and Adam Pranica, and it's produced and edited by Wendy Pretty. You heard the guys next week on the show. We're covering the 90-minute premiere of Sliders entitled Pilot. And if you'd like to join other FODs in a watch party, you can do that aboard the USS Hood Discord at DrunkShimoda.com. Thanks to Adam Ragusea, who composed the theme music for Greatest Trek. You can find his YouTube cooking channel and podcast by searching for Adam Ragusea. 
Thanks to Nick Dittmore for creating the show art. And thanks to Bill Tilly for managing all of the at Greatest Trek social media pages. You can find and follow those online. Also, use the hashtag Greatest Trek when you post about the show. And thanks to the Max Fund members who contribute directly each month. Membership dollars make this show possible, and we really appreciate everyone who gives at MaximumFun.org slash join. You can also help out by leaving a five-star rating or by recommending the podcast to someone you know who might enjoy it. Thanks for listening. We'll see you next week on Greatest Trek. Maximum Fun, a worker-owned network of artist-owned shows supported directly by you.